Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And an unlikely high-profile new responsible gambling advocate emerged this week, John. Rams punter Johnny Hecker, who doubles as the holder when they attempt field goals and extra points, mishandled the ball on an extra point attempt in the Super Bowl which made a difference not in who won the game, but on certain spread bets, first half overs, etc. And he apparently got an earful on social media because on Tuesday night, he tweeted, quote, 1-800-BETS-OFF for all you people whining at me about your bets. Uh, John, is it time for the NFL and NCPG to shoot a new responsible gambling commercial and replace Steve Mariucci with Johnny Hecker? Yeah, I mean, I love this reaction. Uh, I always noticed uh, the disconnect between fans and the athletes I covered over the years. Uh, most obvious one is how fans get agitated when they see players from opposing teams embrace and share a laugh right after a close and important game ends. But the players don't care, you know. And here it's a pretty binary emotion, win or lose. For the winners, nothing else matters. I mean, Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger had maybe the two most pitiful performances by a Super Bowl winning quarterback ever, and they didn't, and they don't care. Um, I will say there must have been a lot of comments by whining betters, though, because it was enough that Hecker bothered to respond at all. You know, plus it's like the fans who gripe about one referee or officials calling a game. Look, the idea is to choose teams that are not going to need every play to go the correct way for you to win your bet. If you were the Rams and if Hecker didn't bungle the snap, and if they did win by four points, that's three ifs already, then you would have gotten lucky to win at minus 3.5 or break even at four. And I say this as someone who risked the price of a pretty decent entree on the Bengals plus four and a half points. Not my most dominant pick. So good for Hacker. There you go. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if this is rule number one of sports betting, but it's at least somewhere in the first few rules. Don't outwardly blame the athletes when your bet loses. Uh, you know, be annoyed at them in your head if you must, but... If you're reaching out to them on social media in anything other than a playful manner, you probably shouldn't be betting on sports. And so uh, Johnny Hecker is right to sort of uh, point them in the direction of a gambling helpline. That said, uh, I saw a tweet at halftime of the Super Bowl that somebody bet a million dollars on the Rams to score over 13 and a half points in the first half. That is a brutal beat because you assume you've got it when the Rams score the second touchdown. And then even after the extra point snafu, they got past midfield on their next drive and Stafford threw that interception into the end zone. It's a rough bet to lose. I I could almost understand if that guy wanted to whine to Hecker almost, Uh, but you know, seriously, don't, don't ever blame the athletes, people. Just come on. You bet that million dollars, you know what you're getting yourself into. It's not Johnny Hecker's fault. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 181 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 180 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. And by the way, you can call 1-800-POD-HELP if you need assistance figuring out where you need to click to give us a five-star rating. Okay, and uh, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by New York State Senator Joseph Adabo Jr. as he reflects on the record-shattering mobile sports betting numbers in New York's first month and also talks in-stadium kiosks, New York City area casinos, and more. 
But first, it's been a super busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Last week, we talked about projected Super Bowl betting. This week, we get to talk actual Super Bowl wagering numbers, as several states have reported handle, hold percentage, and revenue for the big game. Numbers are in from Nevada, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and several smaller states. And not surprisingly, every state is reporting record Super Bowl handle. Nevada took in handle of $179.8 million, finally breaking the pre-PASPA record of $158.6 million during the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl. And Nevada's hold was 8.6%. In New Jersey, Handel was $143.7 million, up from $117.4 million last year, with a 5.4% hold. Pennsylvania was next, with $68 million in Handel, up from $53.6 million in 2021, with a 6.8% hold, which is actually far lower than last year when Pennsylvania betters lost big backing Andy Reid's Chiefs. Uh, And in Illinois, the handle was $60 million, up from $45.6 million the year before, with a staggering 15.7% hold rate. Uh, We don't have handle numbers from New York yet, but GeoComply reports that New York produced by far the most geolocation checks, 20% of the nationwide total. So projections are that New York's handle on the game will be between 200 and 300 million dollars. By the way, as long as we're talking about numbers out of New York and New Jersey, the January full month numbers for New Jersey were released on Wednesday and the handle was a record 1.35 billion dollars, lower than New York's, but still plenty high enough to suggest the New York launch isn't hurting New Jersey one bit. Uh, John, what numbers there stand out to you? And are you taking a side on the Alpha Jack Super Bowl national power number of $1.2 billion in handle? Well, Eric, I'm calling out your Keystone State of Pennsylvania. You can't even manage to reach half of the handle of neighboring New Jersey, <laughs> which has a significantly smaller population. Come on now. But actually, the answer to that plays into that New Jersey all-time record betting handle, in spite of New York debuting mobile betting on January 8th. Our teammate Jeff Edelstein had a strong analysis piece last month explaining that New Jersey's numbers don't just come from us garden staters, each betting 400 bucks a piece every month. You know, there are a number of large syndicates with sophisticated bettors who began teaming up to bet legally in New Jersey. From almost the day it became the first competitive market, low-tax state to offer sports betting way back in mid-2018. Some of that money comes from New York, Jeff learned, but some of it isn't even from the U.S. Uh, and they get treated well in New Jersey. And New York's massive 51% tax rate strongly hints that the so-called whales would not be treated as well in that state. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the syndicates aren't fixing it. Mm-hmm. So the winner in New York versus New Jersey is New York and New Jersey. Uh, the losers, as usual, are many of the betters. But if they gamble responsibly, then they have a good time. So then they win, too. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the same thing about those strong New Jersey January numbers that uh, that, that we can now say uh, pretty much for certain that Jeff Edelstein's anonymous source was on to something. Um, and because New Jersey was the first state with lots of mobile books for these consortiums and syndicates to choose from, that's why New Jersey's handle has always punched above its population size-based weight. So yeah, I think it's safe to assume that 
bigger states like Pennsylvania yeah. and Illinois are not in going to pass New Jersey in the handle rankings anytime soon. I, I think we can expect uh, the rest of 2022 every month. It'll probably be New York number one, New Jersey number two, and then uh, everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the, the Super Bowl specific stuff, um, with, with regard to the Alpha Jack line, uh, that 1.2 billion, mm. it looks like it's headed for the under, but New York is the, the key question mark there. If it, if it turns out New York hit 300 million in handle, then I think the over becomes the favorite. But, you know, either way, a billion dollars plus in national regulated handle on a single game, that is pretty crazy stuff. And um, I, I was listening to Rufus Peabody talk on his podcast about all the various bets he and his crew got down at different books in different states. And he said they had about $2.8 million on the game spread over, I don't know how many hundreds of bets. Um, and he said they ended up about 10% ahead. So uh, not bad, a profit of about uh, 200 grand on one game. Although I guess it's split however many ways between him and his buddies. Yeah, I, I, I thought I heard last week from that attorney in New York State that people don't make make a living on gambling, but I guess it's not true. <laughs> right. No, it is not. Whether DFS, sports betting, whatever, there are some people out there doing it. Uh, the one other thing that I'm curious about is I, I do find myself wondering how the hold could be so high in Illinois. Again, it was 15.7%, about two to three times what it was everywhere else. Um I get, you know, it's close enough to St. Louis that maybe a lot of holdover Rams fans took the Rams against the spread. Uh, but then, you know, on the money line, the general public everywhere kind of favored the Bengals. I- I'm not sure. It It is interesting how the game broke mostly the way the books would have wanted. You know, you had the under hitting on the points total. You had Cooper Cup finishing under his yards total, which broke up, I think, a lot of uh, player prop parlays. Seems seems uh, that this game pretty much went the way the books would have wanted it to. Yeah, and I hate to admit it, but this might also explain why the New Jersey handle, uh, the margin rather, was so low with 5.4%. That comes from so many sharps like Rufus. (laughs) <laughs> probably betting in New Jersey and uh, they're going to be much tougher to beat. Uh, I want to say that New Jersey betters in general are much smarter, but you know, again, just as it put the handle, we're kind of learning this isn't really all New Jersey people. Doing right. This. Exactly. All right. Next up uh, a very different topic, but one still connected to Super Bowl Sunday uh, on Sunday, several hours prior to the game. VEASAN aired a half-hour interview with famed sports better Billy Walters. It was conducted by Brent Musburger. Um, According to the 75-year-old Walters, this was only the second interview he's ever given. Uh, Walters, for those who don't know, is one of the most, if not the most, successful sports bettors ever, and a man who served prison time recently after he was found guilty of insider trading. Anyway, Walters had some interesting things to say about the modern version of sports betting that greeted him when he was released from prison just over a year ago. Uh, he's not a fan of limiting bettors, saying, quote, if you throw out everyone who wins, you won't have any customers left. He uh, pioneered the use of advanced statistics in his betting, uh, but he did say, quote, I've seen some of the dumbest coaching decisions since people started employing analytics, end quote. Uh, And he said of today's sportsbook operators, quote, you've got financial people that understand acquiring a huge customer base, but they don't necessarily understand customer service and more importantly, don't really understand bookmaking. Um, He also said that he is working on a book about his life, co-authored with Armin Katayan. John, which of those quotes stand out to you and where do you set the odds on whether Billy Walter's third ever interview will be right here on Gamble On. 
Uh, you know, I've seen some of the dumbest coaching decisions since people started employing analytics. That's my favorite quote from Billy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I remember watching Joe Gibbs of the Washington Red Bleeps going for it on fourth and one at midfield with raging bull running back John Riggins over and over back in the 1980s because, well, duh, why wouldn't you? You know, what the coaches don't seem to grasp is that all things being equal, this is the optimal decision to make. Okay, that's a start, not a finish. But it's like the analysis that goes, well, assuming the absence of gravity. Well, you know, that's a pretty big assumption. So, can your quarterback perform a successful quarterback sneak? Are your offensive linemen healthy enough and focused enough to get the push they need on a big play like that? Do you have multiple two-point conversion plays that you can count on to boost the odds to better than all things being equal? You know, I'd get started on watching baseball managers use their closer in the opening game of a three-game series with a three-run lead in the ninth inning, but I'll save that for baseball season. So um, as for getting Billy on the show, well, longtime subscribers know we've had quite a few Las Vegas big names on as guests, including baseball hit king Pete Rose, Jeopardy James Holzhauer, and poker legend Phil Helmuth. So I picture some sort of a secret society out there where these guys hang out sometimes. And if we can get those three to put in a good word for us, and all three of them clearly got a kick out of their segments with us, well, maybe... Maybe the impossible can happen again. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to look at it. Um, you know, the problem is, uh, even if we could score the interview with with Walters, I kind of have my doubts about whether we could get him to say anything new. Um, he obviously doesn't want to tell his best stories. He's saving those for the book. Um, but then again, you know, maybe we'd catch him on the book tour as we did with Cousin Sal. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Although then then we would be one of like 100 shows interviewing him uh, that week, if, if that's the case. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see on that. I'm not I'm not holding out the whole lot of hope that Billy Walters will show up on Gamble on. Um, but um, his comments seem to be kind of a mix of legit criticism of things that the new sports books are doing wrong or that they don't understand mixed with more nostalgia based criticism that's just well in my glory days this is how the sports books did it and things have changed and i don't like it um which is understandable that's that's normal human thinking but uh also you know with with mobile betting with all the competition out there for people's dollars and attention you have to evolve and 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 market differently than you did when you were just running a brick and mortar sports book i i think you know, what worked in 1985 simply isn't going to translate perfectly to 2022. So I, I, I sort of view Billy Walter's criticisms of the way it is now as, as a bit of a, a mixed bag. Um, but I do agree with him and with you about coaches not knowing how to use analytics. I wonder if coaches have too much information at their fingertips these days, uh, and it just gets them more confused. And uh, certainly a lot of them don't know what to do with all the information they have. Neither coach in the Super Bowl impressed me much. Um, this isn't exactly analytics, but Zach Taylor's sending in Samaji Pirine to do Joe Mixon's job on the two most crucial short exactly. yardage plays of the game. That was terrible. And then mm -hmm. on the other side, you had Sean McVay, who kept calling running plays despite three plus quarters of evidence that the running <laughs> plays were not working at all. I, I don't know how much analytics played into any of those particular decisions, but I, I do agree with you and with Billy that for whatever reason, dumb coaching decisions abounded this season. Yeah, and uh, just keep in mind, if you're uh, in the neighborhood with Billy, uh, he wants you to get off his lawn. And he's also <laughs> uh, pumping a fist at the clouds as well. Yes, definitely. Definitely angry old man shaking fist at clouds meme uh, applies to Billy Walters. Yeah, I, I would say that's right. All right. Our final news topic this week shifts from sports betting to online casino, but only partially. A consumer intelligence group called Civic Science 
released polling data about which people play online casino games or are interested in online casino and found that there's a strong correlation with sports betting. Only 12% of the people who aren't into sports betting are interested in online casino, whereas 50% of those who bet sports online say they have dabbled or will dabble in iCasino. Along similar lines, 47% of people who are interested in cryptocurrency are also into online casino, while only 17% of non-crypto folks are into iCasino gaming. Also, uh, Americans aged 21 to 34 are about four times more likely to try online casino than those 55 and older. Uh, then there's this interesting collection of numbers. About 80% of all the people polled have no interest in online casino. 6% of people polled have tried online casino and liked it, and 7% have tried it and say they don't intend to try it again. Uh, that's probably not the statistic that the operators want to hear. John, as our over 55 representative who has no interest in playing online casino games, are these numbers pretty much exactly what you'd expect, or, or are there any surprises here? Yeah, none of that's surprising to Eric. Uh, yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about this at a small family Super Bowl gathering on Sunday. You know, I'm intrigued by these scientific studies showing how the wiring in our brains is different now, depending on how old we were when personal technology take, took root. I mean, it, it's literally making changes, not just in attitude, but in how we're wired. You know, I have a three-year-old grandniece who uh, easily works an iPhone. Hi, Jane. Uh, to get it to play video of her, of her favorite Ed Sheeran song, for instance. I mean, you know, young people who enjoy sports betting have grown up with expectations of getting what they want when they want it. And if the Super Bowl is over and they're still in the mood to gamble, they'll toggle right over to Online Casino. Hopefully it's legal in their state. And they'll do that until their itch is scratched. I mean, I mentioned once before, when I was a kid, we didn't even have a remote control for the television, which wasn't so bad because there were only seven channels to pick from. And <laughs> one of them was PBS, which kids quickly realized was going to teach them stuff. So it was there for it to be avoided. So it's really six channels. Um, lastly, the percentage of people who say they won't try it again. Why do I think that's old people who tried it and lost their money quickly? Uh, and by the way, gaming operators in New Jersey split up a record 137 million in revenue in New Jersey, uh, more than twice as much as they collected from sports betting. So somebody's playing these games. And I doubt that's a, a sophisticated syndicate losing all that money. Yeah, it's funny. You've got me thinking back on my childhood now and how much time we actually did spend <laughs> watching like you'd sit in front of a, the TV for two or three hours watching some pledge drive on PBS with like uh, Peter, Paul and Mary performing <laughs> or something because there just wasn't anything else to watch. Uh, so uh, kids today, I hope they appreciate how good they have it with entertainment options. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you that these uh, these numbers are pretty much exactly what I'd expect. And they line up strongly with the operator's strategy get people in the door with sports betting, then offer them casino bonuses and free casino cash to try to get them to try casino. Um, because in my opinion, uh, casino is a more addicting product than sports betting. And, and it's a game that you, of course, can't beat in the long run. Sports betting, you might. There is a skill factor. Casino, nope. No skill. Um, but that that leads to the most telling statistic that, that more people tried online casino and don't intend to try it again than tried it and liked it. I think, you know, you, you take the social element out of in-person casino gaming and all you're left with is a video game that people are going to end up losing most of the time. That's going to cause a lot of people to try it once or twice and never try it again. And, and I don't think you can fundamentally change that. You know, that that's the game. Um, some of the, some of the quote unquote sheep, you're only going to shear them once. And there's, that's the way it is. So um, I guess the operators want to cast as wide a net as they can in hopes of 
finding those folks who will deposit a couple hundred bucks, lose and deposit again. Uh, you know, the, it's basically a volume game for the operators because uh, this poll shows that most people don't want to play online casino. And among those that do play it, a majority don't enjoy it. So, um, you know, again, not surprised by any of that, but I find it interesting just the same in terms of how it could or should shape the online operators approach to attracting customers. Yeah, I, I keep thinking New Jersey has, has to have peaked at some point. As you say, that you can only shear a sheep once in some cases, but there's, I guess there's a lot more sheep out there in New Jersey. It is a pretty affluent state. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. It's not often one of our interview guests gets to come on the show and take a victory lap, but that's exactly what is happening on this episode of the podcast. The last time we had this guest on, about a year ago, nobody was quite sure if his push to legalize mobile sports betting in New York would bear fruit. Now, regulated mobile betting is happening, and it's happening at record rates. So here to take his victory lap and to answer our questions about the present and the future of gambling in New York is State Senator Joseph Adabo, Jr. Senator, welcome back to Gamble On. Thank you so much, and thank you for the victory lap, and I hope I don't pull a hamstring, but I appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, the volume of betting is smashing records, and along with it, thanks in part to the 51% tax rate, New York is collecting more tax dollars from sports betting than any other state. There was a lot of concern that the tax rate would be too high, that it could create an inferior product. Now that you're seeing it in action, is the tax rate actually just right for this particular state of nearly 20 million residents? Or, or do you still have concerns the operators could struggle to turn a profit and the customers will eventually pay a price for that? Well, I, listen, I, at this point, I think the price point is correct. You know, 51%, everybody's happy. The, the consumers in New York are happy. They get to do mobile sports betting safely and regulate it in their own state instead of doing it illegally going to another state. Uh, the operators are happy because, again, we're breaking records. So the volume is there. So they're happy. And the state's happy. You know, we're making uh, revenue and uh, obviously met, uh, significant money for educational funds and addiction funding. So everybody's happy. It's a win, win, win. Uh, my concern will always be going forward. And that's where we'll always have to evaluate, always be standing ready to adjust things when we have to. Okay. Well, one uh, one number that just came in right before we started this interview is that uh, GeoComply has released their Super Bowl figures, and 20% of all transactions are in New York. Uh, that's uh, nationwide, that one out of every five is in New York. Uh, is that in line with your expectations? And does that add to the, the victory lap feel going on right now? <laughs> I always knew New York had this kind of potential, being one of the sports meccas and capitals of the world. Certainly. Uh, but yeah, I'm always I'm always quite surprised sometimes that some of these numbers that we do at such a short period of time, only you know, roughly 30 days in or so. And, you know, we only have seven or eight providers, so operators. So I'm amazed at those numbers, given the circumstances. I mean, uh, speaking from New Jersey, Senator, I'd like to think that uh, our state warmed your uh, your uh, your betters up a little bit for three and a half years. So they <laughs> when they certainly knew what was coming and uh, they jumped in wholeheartedly. But I want to go back about three years. We're at Baruch College in, in Manhattan, and there was some talk about having 
betting kiosks at stadiums and arenas in New York City. And um, it seemed like an interesting idea. Since then, Washington, D.C. and Chicago, I know, are two uh, locales that have, have embraced this. And um, it seemed like it wasn't going anywhere. But I think just this week, your bill made it out of one committee and is headed to another. So, uh, A, I kind of want to get a sense of what the process for that is. And B, uh, which uh, stadiums and, and venues in New York City would, would get this opportunity? Well, you know, like I mentioned, that's what we're talking about as far as what is the next incarnation of mobile sports betting in New York? How do you keep it fresh? I, you know, and so uh, a couple of things, right? So kiosks and stadiums, arenas and racetracks become an idea that I'd like to talk about during this budget process, working out the details. So, you know, for the fan experience, they're at an arena or a stadium or a racetrack, and it furthers the experience for the fan and another uh, augments another uh, population, a segment of the population being that a fan in attendance would have normally and people like kiosk as opposed to or in conjunction with a mobile device you know i have constituents who don't really don't like the phone or the laptop but they are more apt to do maybe a kiosk uh, so be it i just it, it adds another level of enjoyment for our our fan base so is there is this week's development is that a major step forward or has that happened before or what what where does that fit in terms of the likelihood of this coming forward well, you know, next six weeks, we have a budget to, to, to negotiate. And, you know, and we're building upon these great solid numbers uh, for mobile sports betting already. And I think that's a solid foundation to build upon. So whether we talk about kiosks and stadiums, arenas or racetracks, or whether we talk about incorporating horse racing uh, into uh, mobile sports betting, maybe even NASCAR. You know, I think we again, I think this is a great discussion to have at this particular moment for the budget. Last thing on that. Was there originally an issue of uh, some New York City venues would get this opportunity and some wouldn't, depending on the borough, or is that, that got out the window? Or no, I think I think everything's on the table until mm -hmm. it falls off the table. Everything's on the table. Uh, it's certainly within the five boroughs in New York City. You know, we used to have OTBs in our bars and in our restaurants, and they were taken away from us. And I, I know the workers who, who were put out of work, and I know the bar owners who were lamenting over the fact that they lost some business. And so maybe we could bring it back. You know, I, I think, like I said. It, I think with the Hochul administration, that's why I'm so appreciative of the Hochul administration, we're, we're able to talk about this. The previous administration was a little apprehensive, to say the least, about gaming expansion in New York State. This administration, at least the Hochul administration, is at least amenable to talking about and negotiating an open door policy. And that's what's so welcoming at this point in juncture with the budget. Um, so I'm curious for your reaction to something that State Attorney General Letitia James uh, said recently. She was warning consumers in New York about deceptive practices from the online sports books. Uh, how do you react to what she said? Do you, do you feel that these welcome offers are indeed in some ways misleading and something that the AG should be addressing? It, uh, listen, I think the definition of misleading is vague or broad. It could be interpreted so many ways, but you know, these operators that we do, these sports books that we have in New York are certainly professional. They're certainly uh, successful in the, in the industry. They, they do have integrity. They have years of experience. And so this, these are top shelf entities. But uh, I understand the frustration of my uh, constituents and people throughout the state who had issues with some of them. Uh, and I am concerned as well. And I look to the Gaming Commission for and their oversight authority to take a look at this and see where possibly have to be made. Uh, but this is these are this is money. This is people's hard earned money that they are having a problem with either withdrawing or you know, and I think it may be misconceptions or misleading in terms of vague language on these uh, incentives offered by the sports books. But this is something that we will continue to look into. 
And I, if I remember correctly from the last time we had you on, uh, you said that you were not a big gambler uh, yourself personally. So is it safe to assume that none of these uh, apps are downloaded on your, your personal uh, phone just yet? Yeah, you won't find my name there. Like <laughs> I, I love to play. You know, I love throwing a football around. I, I'm a pitcher. I'm, you know, I love to play ball and I, when given the time. But this is not for me. It was for the fact that I was bothered by the fact that New Yorkers had to go to another state uh, and maybe even online illegally or doing something illegal and it's not safe. And so now we get to keep the money here. You know, we get to realize the revenue and the educational funds, the jobs and the addiction funding and all that. If you really wanted to help a New Yorker, you couldn't because you didn't know if they were somewhere and they were off the New York radar as far as needing help for an addiction. Now, since we regulate it, uh, we can we can help people when they need it. Yeah, I'm uh, Senator, I'm looking back about uh, eight or nine years ago when uh, New York was considering upstate casinos uh, for the state up to four licenses. And uh, two of them, I was working for the Bergen Record in New Jersey, and two of them are right on the New York, New Jersey border. So I was very intimately involved with uh, following that saga. And eventually it was decided that everything from the Catskills on north would get it and nothing close to uh, New Jersey or even New York City. So uh, and at that time in 2015, there was a seven year moratorium on consideration of uh, allowing licenses in the New York City region up to three. And that's seven years. That's going to take forever. Well, it's 2022 and here we are. And I think December is going to be the uh, the opening bid for that. Um, I know in the past you have tried to accelerate this timetable a little bit. Uh, are we at the point now in February 2022 where is there any point in trying to move it up from December to you know September or whatever? Or are you content to kind of wait on on this number and it's and it's going to work out? Yeah, I'm never content about waiting. Uh, you know the the yeah. idea here we have an opportunity of uh, realizing roughly 1.5 to two billion dollars up front. For these license fees in this fiscal year so why wait for another fiscal year you know the the governor again credit to the Hochul administration governor Hochul used 23 words in her executive budget to talk about downstate licenses and oh boy those 23 words they cause some ruckus in the industry you know and the idea here is there was no even there was no detail that's what the budget process and negotiations afford to figure out the process and the details but the idea here is we do stand as a great opportunity for again revenue educational funding jobs and so forth I hope we do, because it's not a light switch. Even if we were to activate, uh, expedite these licenses, these three downstate licenses this year, it won't materialize overnight. Um, you know, so I think by expediting it, we do realize the 1.5 to 2 billion this year, this fiscal year, and then multiple millions, hundreds of millions in years to come. Yeah, I mean, uh, the consensus has been that Aqueduct uh, and Yonkers Raceway are heavy favorites, and obviously for them will be a much easier lift. I mean, they've already got facilities that are racinos, so they have uh, slot machines and that sort of thing. And so building in table games and, and such uh, and sports betting kiosks and all that would be a fairly light lift. Obviously, someone building a, a new casino out of scratch, that's going to take a couple of years. So is it fair to say those two are the heavy favorites at this point? And uh, is there any... Uh, other favorite other than that, or is the third one completely kind of a mystery at this point? Well, if I was a betting man, uh, I, I would say yeah. you, you said it all. You know, those two entities are successful in their own right. They're acclimated themselves really good into the community as being a really good neighbor. Uh, Results World is in my district. It's been a great neighbor for 10 years. Uh, so speed to market, if that was one of the factors to realize the revenue and the educational funds and everything else, it would, it would dictate that these two would be given the graduated license to a full casino. But we, we, I don't believe we just can give it to them. I think there has to be an open process in which, even with the open process, I still think they are deserving of these two, the MGM and Yonkers and Results World in Queens. 
That being said, there's that third license. And anywhere south of the Hudson Valley, through the five boroughs of New York City into Nassau and Suffolk County, that is the region where a third license could land. Most gaming entities, as I understand, as I've spoken to them, they are willing to pay the $500 million and up for the license fee, knowing that it may take three years for them to find a site and actually build a brick and mortar site. So they're willing to pay up front for a gaming site that may take three or four years down the road to actually open. Um, that's how much these this license is worth for New York State. Yeah. Now, is, is Manhattan a realistic? I know there's a lot of political opposition to the idea of a casino anywhere in Manhattan. And also, is it realistic? Could there be a second casino in Queens, too? Or if Aqueduct gets it, does that kind of knock out that borough, do you think? But you, know, you normally look for a, a site like this to, you know, give a jolt to an economically depressed area, possibly that's need of, you know, some job growth. You know, I mean, we did it with the four upstate casinos and certainly to me, in my opinion, the economic turnaround because of those casinos upstate is, is evident. Uh, in Jersey used it to, you know, cure the blight. That was the boardwalk. Vegas did it, to, you know, in a desert. You know, so you sort of look for these areas that need a, an economic jolt. I don't think Manhattan needs the economic jolt, to be honest with you. I think it already has a tourism base. I, you know, it has everything going for it. But that's what this budget process, again, is for, you know, to discuss these details and these items and see what kind of structure we can give or work out with the Gaming Commission for siting. All right. So clearly there is still some uh, legislative work to be done in New York with regard to various uh, gaming related issues. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I I think it is time to uh, pause and rest on your laurels for just a moment and and enjoy a victory lap as uh, mobile sports betting is is here and is doing quite well. So congratulations on that, Senator. and, And thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. I look forward to talking to you in the future, but stay safe and all the best. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Before we update our betting bankroll, let's quickly close out our against the spread picks numbers for the NFL season. We both ended on a high note, picking the Bengals against the four and a half point spread in the Super Bowl. So I ended up with a very strong nine and four record in the playoffs and uh, added together with my final three weeks of the regular season. I went 20 and eight over the final 28 picks to almost sort of kind of salvage my season um still regular season and playoffs combined i finished 47 and 56 which stinks but i'll carry some momentum and confidence hopefully into next season uh john meanwhile also had a strong postseason going eight and five against the spread and the super bowl win puts him over 500 for the full season as he finishes 52 50 and one John, any final reflections on this NFL season and the Fast Five? Well, you know, Eric, really, it's just that in four years and 69 weeks of making picks, I've been under 500 in maybe three of those weeks, including the end of the regular season off a of 4-11 and 11 finish. I was one game under. So three, three mediocre seasons and one great one. And I just need to figure out what I'm doing right in the first eight or 10 weeks every single year and why the wheels usually come off down the stretch. Uh, finally, I'd bet that I'm within – two-tenths of one percent of being either over or under the fabled 52.4 percent mark needed to break even i guess that's i don't know respectable yeah that is it's respectable uh whereas without uh, totaling all mine up 
I can assure you that I am not over that 52.4% mark. Whether I'm over 50% overall is, is the bigger question for me. And I'd, uh, I'm a little scared to total it up, but uh, I probably should at some point. As for the betting bankroll, uh, good news. The losing streak is over. We finally had a winning week. And maybe, just maybe, it's the beginning of a turnaround. Uh, we finished uh, a little under par, or I guess it would be over par on, on your golf picks, John. I'm not sure if uh, under par or over par is the right way to say that. <laughs> I'd say we bogeyed. Okay. <laughs> bogeyed. That sounds right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we lost uh, $50 on ROM to win outright and $50 on ROM for the top five, but profited $70 yeah. on Louis Oosthuizen for the top 20. Uh, my boxing bet was a loser and a painful one at that. I took Daniel Jacobs minus 160 for $80. He pretty much swept the first six rounds. It's hard to lose a decision in a 12-round fight at that point, but John Ryder rallied and won most, if not all, the remaining rounds. The fight was in Ryder's hometown, and Ryder took a disputed split decision. So uh, not sounding great so far. We're down $110 for the week after golf and boxing, but we got redemption in the Super Bowl. Um, the bet that I made two weeks ago on the Bengals to kick the longest field goal in the game, it was leading most of the way until Matt Gay kicked a 41-yarder to top Evan McPherson's 38-yarder. So uh, a loss of $120 on that one. Uh, but somehow, my five props from last week, where I would have been happy going 3-2, and two, uh, managed to go 5-0. and oh. uh, T. Higgins, over 68.5 receiving yards. Uh, he got there on the first play of the third quarter with a little help from the refs. Uh, we won $50 on that. Uh, Joe Burrow under 11 and a half rushing yards, easy money, another $50 win. The first touchdown score Jersey number under 23 and a half. Thank you. Number three, Odell Beckham jr. Another $50 win. Uh, the Dan box special. For the Rams to outsack the Bengals, the final tally was seven to two, so we won forty dollars on that. And the biggest win: Jason Tatum threes over Rams touchdowns. Tatum sank four three pointers, and the Rams could only scratch out three touchdowns, so that's an eighty dollar win. So all told, we won two hundred seventy five dollars from those five bets, one hundred fifty dollars overall on the Super Bowl, and we finished up forty bucks for the week. It's not a huge win, but uh, we'll take it. Uh, we're now down by two thousand nine hundred sixty six dollars. We have $660 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,374 available to bet this week. And I'm up first. And the one sport I've had strong overall success with these past three and a half years on the podcast is boxing. But I'm, I'm even on a cold streak with boxing lately. I checked and uh, it seems I've lost my last three in a row. So uh, aiming to get back on track with that uh, big fight in Manchester, England, Saturday between two faded 35 year old former stars of British boxing, Amir Khan versus Kell Brook. It's a big event, even if it's not at all important in terms of the current championship picture. Sure. Uh, anyway, Brook is a minus 175 favorite. I do favor him. I think he's the less washed of the two and Khan has always had a lousy chin. So no doubt in my mind, the most likely outcome here is Brook winning by KO that's priced at plus 125 solid price for the assumption that some punch is going to get through and crumple Khan. Uh, Khan has five losses in his career. Four of them were KOs all four inside the first six rounds. So let's bet a hundred dollars to win 125 on Kell Brook by KO TKO or disqualification. 
All right. And so after two recent 11th place finishes for my players that I had as top 10, I finally found one who finished 10th. That's Rom. Of course, I bet for top five and twin, <laughs> as you noted. Uh, maybe I'm getting somewhere almost. I, I can't decide. But here's a haymaker, as you boxing fans would say. Uh, Thomas Peters of Belgium, 10 units to win at Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles at plus 7,000 on DraftKings. Uh, he has two overseas wins in the last couple of months and some fond memories of this course. Plus 40 more units on Peters to go top 20. I'm getting plus 240 on that. Uh, then 100 on South African Adam Scott at plus 140 for top 20. Riviera is a tricky setup, so a long and solid track record from a sometimes elite player who's rounding into form should, well, let's be honest, get him a share of 21st place. But at least I'll <laughs> lose respectably again. Okay. Um, <laughs> now I'm going to shift over to uh, NBA All-Star Weekend. Um, it's funny. Uh, my son and I were planning a trip to Cleveland over our President's Day long weekend so he could go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> And then we discovered this mm -hmm. was All-Star Weekend and it was in Cleveland and everything is going to be crowded and hotel rooms are unavailable and or unaffordable. So we scrapped that plan. Uh, anyway, <laughs> our colleague Mike Seeley wrote an All-Star Weekend betting preview that ran today on our newest site, our Ohio site, ohbets.com. And of the various leanings Mike had, the one that jumped out at me was the Grizzlies' Desmond Bain to win the three-point contest. He's plus 600. He's as good a shooter as anyone else in this contest. And as Mike points out, he's the only contestant who will be warmed up from playing in the Rising Stars Challenge the night before. Seems worth a shot in a year with no Steph Curry, no Clay Thompson, no obvious favorite. Let's go $50 to win $300 on Desmond Bain. All right. Sounds good. I will tell you that I was in Cleveland for the NBA All-Star game. I think it was 1997. And that was the 50 greatest players. And wow. I think 48 of them were there. It was a big banquet hall. And you walked in and, uh, you know, there's a, a legend at every table. George Mikan was there. Dolph Shays was there. Uh, obviously, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell. Uh, it was uh, one of the most memorable uh, experiences I must have had. But um Getting back to betting, I see DraftKings has Academy Awards odds up now in New Jersey, so mm -hmm. I'll make this a team decision now. I want to pick Best Actor for 50 units, and Will Smith is minus 300 for a sports movie, King Richard, where he portrays Richard Williams, father of Venus, and Serena Williams. Now, I once had lunch with a teenage Serena and her mom at the now-shuttered Mars 2112 Tourist Trap restaurant in Manhattan, so I want to make that play. But with your family's Hollywood connections, I'll give you one alternative, and that's Benedict Cumberbatch in a movie called Power of the Dog. He's at plus 300. So plus or minus, pick your poison. Hmm, this is interesting. I, I, I'll note that I, I did see King Richard, um, and uh, I, I'm surprised that nobody told you this yet, yeah. John. You're actually portrayed in the movie interviewing young uh, Serena. It's uh, Brad Pitt playing you. We're going to trail back to you about yeah, that. I'm surprised. <laughs> Nice. No, um, no, not quite. <laughs> so this is interesting. I, I don't watch too many movies these days and I don't see too many of the Oscar nominated films, but I did see King Richard and I started Power of the Dog. I watched the first, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes and it was the most boring crap. I just was bored out of my skull and couldn't couldn't watch the rest. Uh, now, with that said, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is, is a good actor, and I've heard a lot of people praising his performance and, and all that. So, yeah, Will Smith is clearly 
the one that has all the all the sentiment and the uh, the momentum behind him and people saying it's his year. But they were saying that last year um, about uh, boy, I'm blank. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. I was blanking on his name for a second. Yeah, the, yeah. the posthumous honor for Chadwick Boseman was like a guarantee mm. so much so that they saved it for the last award on the ceremony and then had to give it to Anthony Hopkins yeah. via satellite instead. Um, <laughs> <Awkward>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, uh, yeah, I mean, minus 300 on Will Smith. It just doesn't seem like yeah. as good a value. I hate to, I hate to root against, uh, yeah, my, uh, my West Philadelphia born and raised native Will Smith, but uh, I, I got to go with uh plus 300 on Cumberbatch for 50 bucks. I think that's the, the, the best. Yeah, that makes sense actually. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Senator Joseph Adabo Jr. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, Eric, if we've learned anything in recent days, it's that if you persevere for long enough, great things can happen even long after it's assumed that the window for that success is closed. And fans of the Olympics think I'm talking about, of course, uh, Lindsay Jacobellis, the American snowboarder with a gold medal wrapped up 16 years ago near the finish line in, in snowboard cross when her attempt to celebrate her pending gold led her to fall down and kick the gold medal away. But just a few days ago, she finally, finally captured that elusive first gold medal at the age of 36. But that's not really the August 19th baby I want to talk about. It'd be this guy, me. I broke a spell of nearly 40 years of futility in the Super Bowl box pool game, winning $400 for hitting the first quarter of Rams 7 and Bengals 3. You know, there was a running joke in my office for decades about this pool because of my unspoiled record. For the first 25 years or so, I never, ever landed any good numbers, even buying three of the boxes per year. You know, eventually I landed the occasional maybe numbers like six and seven or three and four. But regardless, the streak held never at any point in any game in any year that I ever have even a momentary moment where the score matched my numbers. <laughs> and with about three minutes left in the first quarter on Sunday, my rooting interest at about five consecutive plays was reflected on the television perfectly. It was a little strange, actually. And uh, I wanted to act like I'd been there before, but I hadn't. And I didn't want to be like that infamous USC cheerleader celebrating a Texas touchdown that would cost her school a national championship. So I didn't want to be mean. So it took a few hours, but finally got confirmation that I wasn't imagining the whole thing. I really did win. Uh, the one irony, though, is that I've reached the age where I can't really think of anything I want to buy. Well, maybe it'll come to me or I suppose if I can find a website I can trust that will give me winning gambling information, I can help us get that bankroll deficit reduced just a little bit. So with that, until next time, gamble on.